So glad to see all of you uh, this morning. I hope that you're having a wonderful uh, Labor Day weekend, enjoying the beautiful weather, spending some time with family and friends. Uh, it's always a joy to come together uh, and to worship, uh, to spend time with you. You are, you are my family, and, uh, and I hope I'm a part of your family. I'm, I, I'm glad to be a part of this, this group of believers that, is, that are in this room. Uh, Steve, I appreciate so much uh, the words that you had to say and how encouraging that was to all of us. And, and every one of us in this room have similar stories that we could tell. Similar struggles and hurts and pain that we have walked through, and each of us are an encouragement to one another. As we walk with Jesus this life, uh, with all of the, the hurt and the pain and the celebration and the joys, as we walk together, we're an encouragement to one another, and we show Jesus to one another. I uh, graduated from Bible college in 1991. And I had my first ministry in Battle Creek, Michigan, the serial capital of the world. I mean, you go to Battle Creek. I don't know if you've ever been to Battle Creek, Michigan, but I can always tell when Post was uh, making Fruity Pebbles. It was irresistible to be around. Just driving through that town, it's like, oh, I've got to get a bowl of cereal. I just have this craving. Uh, but I love my time in Battle Creek. I still have some very good friends uh, that are there in that church, Central Christian Church. Both of my uh, boys, our, our boys were born there, Daniel and Noah, both were born in, in Battle Creek. Uh, some wonderful relationships. That's been a long time ago. I mean, that's been, uh, that's been over 21 years ago uh, that we were there. And uh, I remember uh, one of my fondest memories was uh, engaging with this uh, uh, class. Uh, it was called the Feholo class, which was short for Faith, Hope, and Love class. And they were part of the greatest generation. Uh, some of you here this morning are part of the, great gen- the, the greatest generation, those that lived through the Depression and uh, World War II and those times uh, there. This group of people had been a part of this congregation since, uh, since they, they all got married there and raised their kids there and their grandchildren and now even their great-grandchildren are part of that community. And this group of people have stayed together throughout life, uh, through, throughout so many uh, turnings and, and seasons. And uh, one particular couple uh, always sticks in my mind because of the way that they welcomed Katie and I uh, in our really our first days of ministry, Clarence and Doreen Ruger. I'll never forget them. Uh, they would have us in, our, in their home frequently. Uh, and um, one particular time, uh, they had asked us, if they could, this one, the other thing I really appreciated about this Sunday school class was they were always getting together to eat. I mean, they studied around the scriptures on Sunday morning, but at least once a month, they, were, they had some kind of an event that revolved around food. And I love that. I love that. And every June, it was strawberry season. So strawberry shortcakes. And we, they'd have a strawberry shortcake party. Somebody had a big farm, and they'd go pick the strawberries, and and, they'd, and everybody would come together, and they asked us if we'd host it one year. So Katie and I are just kind of learning how to do ministry and have people in our home and, and uh, you know, just learning to live life and said, yeah, we'd love to have you come and, and join us in our home. And uh, there must have been 30 or 40 people in our little home in, ba- in Battle Creek that, that came. 
but Clarence and Doreen, they always led that group. And uh, that, first of all, that was just really special that they asked us to host it uh, on, a, on their turn to do that. Um, later that year, uh, Doreen uh, suffered a heart attack and died and left Clarence alone. Uh, he uh, had to walk through life uh, by himself in his home uh, that it had been filled with, with, with so much of them being together for so many years. And uh, the next Christmas, uh, Clarence was going to have to walk through uh, the Christmas season by himself for the first time. And I'm sure that some of you understand what that's like, having lost a loved one, to be able to walk through a holiday where there have been memories and, uh, and how difficult that is to do that. And uh, I had the idea of, hey, you know what, let's, let's get the youth group together. I mean, the junior high and the senior high kids, let's take them over to Clarence's house and decorate. Because Clarence would bring the boxes up, like I do in my house. You know, I bring all the boxes up, but then Katie decorates the house. And Doreen wasn't there to do that for him anymore. And so... We went over, and we took the kids and got all the boxes up for him. We decorated his home. We brought food and shared with him. And one particular memory that just sticks out in my mind, uh, Doreen had a, uh, a, a player piano. It sat about this tall. I don't know if you know, uh, ever seen a player piano, but uh, we asked him about it, and he said, I'll show you. I'll play music on this. And so he got the box out of the closet. It was right next, door, next to the piano, and he started to put these rolls of uh, music into the player piano and then started up, and it would play songs. And they were old songs to him, but to all of us young people in that room, they were new, brand-new songs. And we started, and Clarence would sing these songs, and we'd start to learn them and sing those thing, songs with him. The reason why I mention that is because it wasn't, we were going there to minister and to to be with Clarence. But we watched Clarence walk through life. We watched Clarence with uh, this, this gentle man deal with walking through Christmas alone. Now, he didn't have to live it alone, but it was different. It, it, was, it was different. And he did it with class. He did it with uh, being the example of Jesus Christ in that moment. And these kids got to see something, and I got to see something that I had never, never seen before. I got to watch a man of God hurt. I got to watch a man of God weep. I got to watch a man of God uh, be hospitable even in the midst of that time and walk through life. I'll never forget that, and I don't think our students will ever have forgotten that. They probably carry that memory just like I do. And that's life. That's the reality of life. There are, there's going to be those times where we're going to struggle and we're going to suffer, and, and we're still going to walk. We're still going to live. How do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to uh, look at a passage of Scripture and uh, a couple disciples that were the, having to deal with the same kind of thing, at least what they understood at that moment, the loss of their friend Jesus. Uh, the two on the road to Emmaus. You probably have heard this story before. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I'd like for you to just pretend, imagine, insert yourself into the story as if you were walking with, Je- uh, walking with Jesus, even not knowing it was him. And, 
and walking through life just like they were. Luke chapter 22, starting at verse 13. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking in the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? I, I, just, I just love how Jesus does this. He, he lets it be remain a secret, and he asks them a question. Describe what's going on right now. What are you feeling? What are you, what are you walking through? And they stop short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. In other words, Jesus, not knowing it's Jesus, but where have you been? Hiding under a rock? Have you been taking a nap this whole time? What's going on that you don't know all that everybody else knows that's going on here? And so Jesus says, what things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah. Ever hope? Ever long for something and wish that something would be a certain way? We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. And some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And just notice that they don't say that he's alive. They got a report back, but they said his body was gone. They didn't know for sure. Then Jesus said to them, and I imagine he said this, I I imagine that he says this with a smile on his face. I don't know, but I think he does. You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. (laughs) I wonder how long that took. I mean, we're talking about the Old Testament. We're talking about uh, the the Torah. We're talking about the law. We're talking about the stories that they tell over and over again, and he's telling them again. And he's, he's reminding them of something that they all knew. They were disciples. By this time, they were entering Emmaus, and at the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us, since it's getting late. So he went home with them, and as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as we talked as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. In other words, they're saying, oh, that's, now it makes sense. Now I know why he told us all of these things. 
And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. It's no longer that his body is missing. He's alive. And he's appeared to Peter. What part of the story are you drawn to this morning? Are there characters that, uh, that you can relate to in this story? Do you put yourself in the place of Jesus where, where he is just kind of being in, inquisitive and asking them questions? He's not telling them everything. He's just telling them enough so that they can begin to think and wrestle. Or do you put yourself in the place of the disciples who, who have lost some hope? They're frustrated. They, I, I imagine they might even just be angry at the way things have happened. The injustice of all, all that has been going on around them and as they're walking along. They're shaking their heads. What's happening? The world is crumbling apart for us. Who do you identify with in this story? And as we walk with Jesus together, we are becoming a people that seek the Lord in his presence. This is what happens in our family. We truly care for one another. We cultivate a life of prayer together. And we seek transformed lives. Not just in the other person, but in ourselves. Me. I look for my life to be transformed. And as we pursue God together, the first thing that I want us to recognize is that we need to have the courage to wrestle with life in the text in the midst of difficulty. What do I mean by that? These disciples were wrestling hard. They had had been hanging their hopes and uh, their beliefs on this man, Jesus Christ. And he had claimed to be something, and they saw, they listened to his teaching, and they were moved by it, and their lives were being transformed by it. They saw him do miracles. They saw him heal. They, they, they saw all of these things, and they had maybe even experienced it personally themselves. And then everything fell apart. You've been there, haven't you? We've all been there at times, where we just put all of this work and all of this effort and all of this energy, and for what? And they wrestled. But the point that I want to bring is that they had the courage to wrestle with it. They didn't just suppress it. They didn't just uh, hide it back in a closet or sweep it under the rug or try to maybe pick up with something else. They, they dealt with it. They told the story. They dealt with their pain, their hurt, their discouragement, their lost hope, their anger, their frustration. And when I look at the list, when I think about that list, when I, when I communicate that list to you, I, I think about the questions that we probably have all had. Why? Why? Why does God permit these things? I'll keep referencing Steve because he just told it so well a little bit ago. Just this, this list of things that can be so discouraging and so frustrating for all of us. And you, you fill in the blanks and put yourself and insert yourself in the story. Why? There's purpose, isn't there? Is there purpose to all of this pain? Uh, one of my uh, students from Notre Dame uh, is here, uh, Josh, and he has, he has um, uh, inspired me to kind of get into some of the ancient teachings and St. John of the Cross uh, uh, and encouraged me to read uh, The uh, Dark Night of the Soul. And so this past spring, I, 
I read a little bit about him and got to know him. St. John of the Cross was a 16th century monk. And he, along with Teresa of Avila, started a movement in Spain to begin reforms to the traditions being upheld by the Catholic Church. And as a result of what he was trying to do, the reforms that he was trying to bring about, he was arrested, listen to this, he was arrested by the friars of his order who imprisoned him. Doesn't make any sense. That means that's like a bunch of preachers getting together and saying, we're going to put this preacher in a prison. I don't know, that's kind of weird, but that's what happened. And for nine months, he was held in a closet that used to be used as a toilet. And during that time, he was only brought out at dinner time to be flogged in front of the other monks. He suffered virtual starvation and brutal cold and was offered neither cloak or blanket during that time. And at first, he took comfort in his quiet interior, trying to be the good monk, trying to be this good man of God and, and, and bolstering himself up with his own strength. But as time went on, he began to wonder if his beloved, Jesus, had abandoned him. And in the depths of his despair, he began to write poems, not with paper or pen because he wasn't allowed to have it, but he recited them over and over in his mind, day after day, so he would not forget them until he was finally released and he wrote The Dark Night of the Soul. Listen to this poem. It's kind of old language, but pay attention to the the passion. Pay attention to what he discovers in the midst of his pain. On a dark night, kindled in love with yearnings, oh, happy chance. I went forth without being observed, my house being now at rest. In darkness and secure by the secret ladder distinguished, oh, happy chance. In darkness and in concealment, my house being now at rest. In the happy night, in secret, when none saw me, nor I beheld aught, without lighter guide, save that which burned in my heart. This light guided me more surely than the light of noonday to the place where he, well, I knew, who, was awaiting me, a place where none appeared. O night that guided me, O night more lovely than the dawn, O night that joined beloved with lover, lover transformed in the beloved, upon my flowery breast kept holy for himself alone, There he stayed sleeping, and I caressed him, and the fanning of the cedars made a breeze. The breeze blew from the turret as I parted his locks. With his gentle hand, he wounded my neck and caused all my senses to be suspended, and I remained lost in oblivion. My face, I reclined on the beloved, all ceased, and I abandoned myself, leaving my cares forgotten among the lilies. I don't know if you hear what's happening here. But St. John of the Cross has learned to love Jesus to the point where he is his beloved, which is what we really long for in our relationship with Christ, is that we can lay our head against his chest to hear his heartbeat in the midst of whatever we're going through. And I don't think any of us have ever had to suffer quite like this man has. But in the midst of all of that, when everything was stripped away, When all seems lost and hopeless, what did he find? There was only one thing. Only one thing remains, and that's Jesus. And it took that nine months of time for him to come to that grips of not not only everything, all of the comforts of life or the relationships, but everything that was about him to let it go. 
and to let Jesus only remain. What does it mean to wrestle? (laughs) Because that's what he did. But for us to wrestle, I think we all go through times of wrestling, this idea that I'm not going to let go. I'm going to hold on to this person until they, they say, I give, I give. I remember my dad uh, teaching my brother and I how to wrestle on the living room floor, and, and we'd really get into it and hold, hold the other person into a headlock. And, and, and you, you know, you're like, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. And finally, when you can't breathe and you're about ready to pass out, you're like, I give, I give, I stop, I stop. But that's sometimes what life is like. I'm not going to let go of you, God. And it's also humility to say, you know what, I, ha- I don't have life altogether. I think we try to convince ourselves that the only way that I am going to be strong in this life is just to bolster myself and to say, I can handle this. I can be the big man. I can be the strong woman. But in humility, we say, I don't have it all together. That there are places in my life where I am not healthy. And I'm not. And there, that thing that I thought I knew, not so much. My foundations have been rocked and I'm having doubts and even questioning God. And so in our small groups, that's what it becomes for us. It's not, a, it's not just a, a time to come together around the scriptures to get information. It's not just a time to come around and, and have a meal together. But it is, I'm bringing my life in the midst of a bunch of other people that are bringing their life in the midst of all of this, and we wrestle with this together. And we wrestle with the text and how, how, how it has to deal with that. And we bring the messages that we may hear on Sunday morning by, uh, by preachers who know that they don't have it all together, and we make mistakes over and over again. Well, maybe Sam doesn't make as many mistakes as I do, but <clears throat> you get it. In other words, I mean, you got, there are times where you're just like, you know what, I, Sam said something awfully crazy this last week, and I don't know if I get it. I don't know if I believe that. And I just want to say, you know what, that's okay. It really is. You don't have to believe everything that the preacher says. In fact, don't do it. (laughs) Come back to the group and say, you know what, I don't get that. Can we talk about it? Can we wrestle with it? And in your group, there's no condemnation. Because it's in that wrestling that we really grow and we really strengthen. We know that. Practice makes perfect. We wrestle with that and we become stronger as a result. That's where growth occurs. So resist posturing yourself. Resist the, the, the urge to pretend in front of other people that you do have it all together and begin just trusting God for the story that he's writing over you, that God is writing over me. And, and the thing is that God just doesn't reveal the whole story. But one of the things that's beautiful about the wrestling is that I can watch somebody who's walked before, kind of like Clarence. There'll be a day in my life that I know that people will go before me and I'll have to walk through that. But I'll remember Clarence and how he had to walk through it. And I'm thankful for that. And it'll be the same thing with you. You look at the people that have walked ahead of you or even behind you for that matter and you learn and you see how they wrestled with it. Together as we wrestle, we see a beautiful picture of Jesus alive, which is what the disciples were watching. The second thing is, not only do we have the courage to wrestle, but we 
we demonstrate hospitality. And I'm not just talking about welcoming people into your home, or, or, uh, what, and that's very important, but it is inviting Jesus to show you. When you are struggling and mourning in the midst of heartbreak, <laughs> and I'm thinking about these, these two disciples, when you are struggling, how sociable do you want to be? You know what I mean? Like, do you really want to party? I don't feel like partying. I don't feel like getting together. <laughs> so, but here are these two guys, and they're, they're walking through their own hurt, and they say, you know what? Come to our house. Jesus, we want to hear more. And they literally opened themselves up. They, they allowed their life and their heart to be hospitable to God. Disciples wanted to know more, and so they said, Jesus, come eat, spend time with us. And I don't want us to lose sight of that. The hospitality is not something that is simple. In fact, it is very significant. I learned this uh, uh, from a good friend of mine. His name is Jim Fight. He's from Southern California. And I always ask Jim to come with us when we're doing prayer journeys on campuses across the nation because I love his heart. I love the idea, this understanding of saying, Jesus, I want to know what you know. I want you to show me. I want to see what you see. I want to hear what you hear. I want to know how your heart beats for the community that is around me that we're praying for. And you can pray these same prayers. You can ask God for these same things for your community and for your family and for your place of work. And allow your life to be transformed. In this, in this it is an act of hospitality. We're asking Jesus to say, we're saying, come make yourself at home. That's hospitality, right? In my life. Come make yourself at home in my life. The psalmist understood it in Psalm 139 where he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. And lastly, stop. Uh, that's a broken record for me. If you hear me preach from time to time here, I'm always going to go back to Sabbath. Uh, and that's something that God just keeps working on me for. But small groups, <laughs> community time is a time for us to stop. We don't just want to add, and here's, a, here's what I want you to understand here at Living Stones. We aren't just creating a ministry in our small groups that adds busyness to your life. That's not our goal. Because your life is too crazy and too busy as it is. That's not what we're purposing to do. In fact, I look at it, and I hope that you can understand and see it. It is a time for us to pull back and stop. To not add busyness, but to add a break. To add rest. Because there's something important and significant that happens in that rest. Did you see it in the scripture? Did you see it in the life of these two disciples who were hurting and wrestling They didn't see Jesus. They said, come, come, Jesus. Come into our home. Come have a meal with us. Come rest for the night. And that wasn't an uncommon thing. But as they rested, as they sat at the table, and they had a meal, and they laid their worry down, they'd already wrestled with it. They already talked about it. They forgot about those things. What happened? It's Jesus. Like the one person that we've been talking about this whole time. And when I lay aside those distractions and all of those kind of things, then I can see Jesus clearly. That's what happens. It's not laziness. 
It's rest that opens up our eyes and recognizes Jesus. And in that moment, he gives us peace. When we are present with one another and present with Jesus, our eyes are opened. Jesus asks us to walk with him. Come take a walk. Come walk with me. Life is too difficult not to walk side by side with him. So the question I was asking myself as I was preparing for this message, and I definitely wanted to bring scripture. I wanted to preach from the scriptures. Why? Why, again, why do we do small group? Why do we do community? No inner journey, however rich it might be, can replace a life of Christian community. Followers of Jesus are called to others, called to eat with them, to drink with them, to feast and fast with them, to laugh and to weep with them, to read and to pray with them. This is a pursuit in real life. I I like to say that it's living life on life. My life touching your life and your life touching my life. We need one another. Because I need you. No matter what you're walking through, I need to see, I need to watch you do it. I need to see you do it. I need to see your emotion as you do it. And you need to see me in all of my imperfections. You need to see that too. So the question, there are three questions. In this pursuit of real life, where in my life can I grow? In other words, it's an introspection. It says, it says I'm, I don't have it all together. God, show me how I need to grow. And so as I walk into this community, as I walk through the doors of the person that is being hospitable to us, I resist the temptation to fake spiritual maturity. I reject false appearances. There is no shortcut to true life. It grows organically. It cannot be forged, forced or forged. It can only be encouraged and fostered. Embark on a continually deepening process of knowing yourself and give yourself permission to set aside time for quiet. Invite the perspective of the people that are in your group to look into your life and to show you. And Ask the question, where in my life can I grow? I'm so thankful for the the close friends, the men in my life that I can just say, be honest with me. You know? Can you just be honest with me and tell me? What do you see? Help me to know. And the second second question is, who am I imitating? Who am I imitating? Ask that question. And ask, am I allowing myself to be seen in my real life settings by those I care for? Well, that that changes the perspective because I, I want those who care for me and who I care for to see something good. I want them to see Jesus. So I better I, I better lean into Jesus so I can look like him. Consider your internal life of devotion and your external life of prayer and open yourself up to true growth and let life start with you. And then lastly, talk about it. I mean, don't be afraid. Uh, I, 
and, and I'm one of those individuals who, ha- who at times have had difficult times just being honest. I'm not talking about being honest and telling the truth about something that I've done, but I'm talking about just being open and transparent before people to say, I don't have it all together. And, and, then, and then talking about how good God is and how he, what he's teaching me along the way. Trace how any growth in your group, in your life, is going and express celebration for what God is doing. Listen, folks, we need each other. We need each other. God intended for us to live life with one another. So this morning, join us on the porch. Join us out under the pergola, and I know what a pergola is. (laughs) Get to know us. Because we'd love to get to know you. Don't be afraid of those relationships. Your life is not that busy. (laughs) Honestly, if it is that busy, you need to cut some other things out of your life. We invite you to come walk. That's the thing. Come walk with us and be a part of a community of fellow journeyers along the way. Let me pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father, for the community of believers that are in this room right now. I thank you, Father, for the way that you are working by your Holy Spirit to walk with us, to journey with us, to walk side by side and give us strength along the way. Not, Father, I thank you for the blessing of the, the doubts and the frustrations that we go through because it is there where you reveal yourself to us. I thank you, Father, that you are our beloved and we can lean up against you and know your love. I thank you, Father, for this church, and I thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.